0: This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I want you to imagine that you're a top athlete in the world. And, you know, you're able to run fast, jump high, tackle people, do whatever you want. And within an instant, you can't move. And not so long after that, you're told you will never walk again. I want you to just process that chain of events in your mind if you possibly can. And then I want you to imagine being told over and over again, you will never walk again, and then proving people wrong. And so I have a man on my show that I have tremendous admiration for. Today's going to inspire you and you're going to learn a lot about how to overcome real adversity in your life from a man who's featured right now in a Netflix documentary called Seven Yards that you have to see. Chris Norton, welcome to the program, brother. Yeah, thank you Ed, it's an honor to be here. It's, uh, it's my honor. And here's what's crazy, I gotta tell everybody. I'm watching this documentary with my wife, we're both in tears, and we're gonna talk, you're gonna hear and see a man today who was told he would never walk again, who now does. And yet, when we were done watching the documentary, I said to myself, boy, that Emily's amazing, which is his wife. That was the first thing that occurred to me it was even as or more amazing was your wife, Emily. So we're going to talk about that. So let's take people back, brother. You're playing college football mm-hmm. and you worked your tail off to get a chance to play on a team early that you probably weren't going to get a chance to play on. And then let's go right to the event that changed your life. What happened? Share with everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a much freshman year. I'm an 18 year old kid and, uh, big plans and dreams for myself and uh, i ran out to the field for the kickoff uh the kicker huddles us up he calls the play mortar kick right uh which is a simply like a short high arching kick to the right side of the field And you know, i don't know why we didn't just call it kick right our kicker was so bad every kick was short and high arching uh, but anyway you know i'm pumped you know as a freshman like i'm on the right side of the field like i'm gonna be on the action and uh me like i love hitting people like i i want to make a play i want to earn my more playing time until right. so the ball is kicked. I'm sprinting downfield hard as I possibly can go. And I see the opening for me and my instincts are telling me he's going to run through that gap and you know, I'm going to stop him and drive my shoulder. So hard legs and he's going to drop the ball. And so I hit him full speed, full force. And just miss time. My tackle just by a split second. And instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head hits his legs, and in an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. I'm completely conscious. Uh, it felt like any other play, but I just can't move. Like someone just flipped the power off to my entire body, and you know I'm just trying to push off the ground. Uh, the whistle calls a play dad everyone's off the field they're just waiting for me to get up and I'm just telling myself like Chris you gotta get up but Mm. um, little did I know I had a spinal cord injury Mm.
0: and uh, mom and dad are in the stands so that's I want you to picture that as a parent everybody watching your son who's playing college football now not moving do you you're laying there Chris are you going all right I got a stinger this is going to dissipate or are you now feeling at some point where you're laying there I'm in some big trouble
1: I'm just thinking, it's a stinger. it will go away. I'll get up off the field, walk off the sideline. You know, I grew up in a uh, small town, Iowa. I lived, like, kind of in a bubble. Like, you know, good things just, or bad things just never happened to me. Like, you read about it in the newspaper, you watch on television, or maybe they're a guest on your show, but there's like, there's no way something bad is going to happen to me. Like, I will be fine. Like, I just have this, you know, glass half full mentality, but... You know, as time was going on and they were doing more tests on me, like, you know, asking me to make a fist with my hand and I can't squeeze my hand at all. And they're asking me, Chris, can you feel us touching your leg? I can't feel a thing. And they keep asking these questions. It's just no, no, no. And I'm getting more frustrated. And then they call in for a helicopter. And that's when I know, like, this is bad. Now, I've been to a ton of sporting events and, Usually you see a guy like rolling around the field, making some sort of movement, but I'm just motionless.
0: Mm. It's interesting, Chris. I had Eric Legrand on my show. I'm sure you probably know just because of the injury. He got injured playing football at Rutgers. He's become a great friend of mine. And um, it strikes me with both you and him and watching your documentary that, and this is for everybody to know, God's not going to give you any adversity you're not capable of handling. And he chooses, I think, very carefully who he gives us adversity to because He knows if you can overcome it, that you're going to inspire millions of other people to do something great, even small things in their life. Start a business, you know, get married, get get in shape. And in watching your family, your mom and your dad, particularly, and in some cases, really your dad, some of the conversations you had with him and you are special, Chris. You didn't know it before then. And I I bet. And in watching it you were, you were selected for this, even though, you know, in life, it's hard to accept everything happens for us and not to us, but when watching how you thought your mental toughness, the way you approached it, your dad's conversations with you, which we're going to get into in a minute and your mom's, it just struck me that this was some part of your destiny in the world, even though it wasn't a favorable thing at the time. So do you agree with that by the way, now in hindsight?
1: Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, you know, God had a bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself. And I just didn't see that at the time. And that was something I had to wrestle with. Like, God, like, what are you doing? Like, are you sure you know, like, what's happening here? Like, this is a mess. Like, how can you make this for your good and gives me some sort of purpose and meaning from this? And I had to wrestle with that, but you know, that's faith. Like, it's not something you can see. Right away, you got to you just got to trust, and and that was something I had to choose every single night was that faith or fear, and I just I it was a hard, not always an easy choice, but I chose my my faith.
0: You also chose to bust your ass to get back together too, and so we're going to talk about that. So now you're in the hospital. Series of events takes place, and there's now this reckoning for you and your family that you are now told you're not going to walk again. I want to understand the first time that that was really said to you. Did you? Was it like, oh, really? Oh, my gosh, I'm not going to walk again. Or was there an initial uh, immediate resistance to that thought? Or did it take you a while to build up a lack of acceptance of the condition?
1: Yeah, when I was first told that, you know, you have a 3% chance of ever moving or feeling anything below the neck. and It's not a 3% chance to walk. It's a 3% chance to move or feel, to, you know, scratch an itch on your face, to feed yourself.
0: So 3% chance to feel that, something, not to walk. I just want to understand 3% chance just to feel something walking was off the charts. That's not happening. Just to scratch yourself, 3% chance.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And, wow. um, They yeah, you said a bunch of things after that, but like when I heard that, like everything just stopped and I just had these like ringing in my ears and it's just, I'm just trying to come to grips with that number and what my life is going to look like. And, um, but there was something in me, like I was kind of numb at first to it. And then I got mad. And I'm just like, no way, not me. Like, this is not going to be my life. Like, I can't accept this. Like, I have to be, you know, that 3%. Like, I'm, I cannot be that 97% who don't recover from this. And I have to do everything in my power to get my life back to get back to what i thought would be you know the epitome of living which is walking like i thought that was everything in the beginning you know i now know now that you know happiness isn't measured by steps right you know there's people who can run jump and swim who are happy so you know happiness has everything to do with your mindset and not your physical abilities it would take me a long time to figure that out but you know at first i'm like i have to walk And I'll do whatever it takes. And so that first day, like the only movement I had was to nod my head yes and no. And I would just nod my head yes and no for hours. I looked like a giant bobblehead just like bouncing (laughs) my head all around, but I was just ready to, to get to work.
0: Oh my gosh. So guys, the reason you want to stay tuned to this is when you understand, first we're going to go through the actual steps, no pun intended, that got Chris to go those seven yards, to be there on his wedding day that you're gonna hear about in a little bit. But I wanna go through those steps of making a comeback because all of you need to know them. The other part of it is you're gonna be blown away by what this man's life's turned into. And it's far beyond standing up and walking, far beyond. What he's doing with his life is extraordinary. And as you can tell by the way he communicates, he's one of the top motivational speakers in the world now as well. So you're laying there, they've told you this, and I wanna go through a couple remarkable circumstances. You're the most remarkable but you know you had a lot of caregivers in there, different nurses, but there was one very special conversation at a down time for you. And the reason I want everyone to hear this story is not only for the adversity side that Chris is going through, but how you might be this angel in someone else's life of inspiration or encouragement that this nurse was for him. Because there's other extraordinary people that end up entering Chris's life that help him build this extraordinary life. So maybe you're the Chris in the story where you're overcoming the adversity, but maybe you're this nurse. And so this is amazing. Share share the beautiful gift of this woman with everybody.
1: Yeah, so it's a fourth night in the ICU and going to bed was the worst. Like, you know, during the day, you know, I was pretty, um, you know, motivated. I was distracted with my rehab, with my family. But when you're laying in your bed, staring at the ceiling, um, all your thoughts and your fears just pour out. You know, I'm just wondering, will I ever go to school, meet a woman that would be with me, be a dad and sort of family, I will ever be happy. And you know, most nights I just cry myself to sleep and mm. I can't even wipe the tears away from my eyes. And so I'm just laying there crying. It's like, you know, late in the morning, early morning, uh, maybe two, 4 a.m. And this nurse comes in to check my vitals, which is typical. Someone comes and checks my vitals. Every two hours they check and they just leave. But this woman does something different. She comes over my bedside. She gets down on one knee and she says, Chris, look me in the eyes. And she was kind of mean about it, to be honest. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of guys with her and she's a short, slender woman, short, reddish hair, glasses. And the thing about her is she's got this voice that sounds like she came straight out of a Western movie. Mm. And she says, um, my name is Georgia, I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? <laughs> And I say no. And I'm just thinking like, no, where is this going? Like, Mm kind of let me be. And she says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know, you will beat this. Wow. You will beat this. Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. broke down crying right there on the spot. Like, Mm -hmm. just the floodgates open. and I just... I needed to hear those words mm. so badly because, you know, up to this point, you know, I was questioning, like, is my effort, is my hope and the time I'm putting into this, like, doesn't matter. Like, will it pay off? You know, am I wasting my time? And, you know, with her words, it just restored my faith and really just kind of gave me that confidence to to go for it and mm. to not hold back. Mm. And that was so powerful. And, And she really showed me just how much impact, you know, one person can really make. And yeah, anybody can be a Georgia, like to choose to be kind. And instead of just saying um, you can beat this or you can get better, it's you will beat this. You you will get better. And that's there's some power there.
0: The way she set it up, man, with with uh, people from Wyoming, don't lie. I want you to look at me. I think so many people need to hear that they can be that difference maker. If you understand at the end of this, what this man's life turned into, I wonder if Georgia even has, well, she probably does from the documentary to know what a, what a miraculous moment and turning point that was in your life. And by the way, even when you have those turning points, guys, then there's other setbacks. You need another turning point. That's part of life. You know, when you, you think now you're around the corner. And just God bless her. What she did is everyone else came in and took your vitals. She decided to just go do one more which ended up being a theme of your training. It blew my mind. I'm writing a book. It's kind of the work of my life right now called The Life-Changing Power of One More. And then in watching your story, that sort of became one of your mantras too, wasn't it? That in doing reps or in thoughts and things like that. So share that. You had these great conversations with your dad where they, you had this board up in your room, didn't you? With like sayings on it. Would you just share with them some of that? The one more, your dad, sort of the, the environment you set around yourself to make conditions possible for the change.
1: Absolutely. So my room was completely decorated. Um, they had all these inspirational quotes, Bible verses. And at nighttime was the mo- most difficult time every single day. Because again, you know, back to that, you know, wrestling with these fears at nighttime, I'm trying to go to sleep. And my dad, that's when he would open up the laptop and start reading me scripture. Uh, he would read me messages from people on this you know, CaringBridge site and really just was there to just speak life into me. And they created this environment that was so encouraging and uplifting to me. And another thing too, is like, we check people at the door. Like, if you're going to come in and spew negativity in here, like we don't want you part of this environment because Mm. here, like we believe and we're going to have that faith and that encouragement. And we're not going to be told otherwise, And that was really powerful for me because I looked to my parents and I watched them and I was counting on them for their strength. And no little did I know too, is um, when my dad and I, we wrote a book together, uh, the power of Faith*. And I didn't realize, but behind closed doors, they were struggling. As you might imagine, like they're really struggling with what I'm going through and their fears, but they never showed it. That's the thing. Like, they just gave me so much confidence and belief in myself that we're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me just the importance of just being that role model for other people of just exuding that strength and that confidence, just how you know, influential that can be.
0: And the fact, Chris, that you can give it to somebody often when maybe you are struggling yourself. I think everybody thinks I got to have my act together. I got to completely feel a certain way before I can give other people the gift of belief, hope, love and faith. And that's just simply not true. That's all over different scripture. The thing about that room that you're in your hospital room this being the haven. If you're going to come in here negative, don't come in. I think everybody's got to listen to that. What about the, do- the front door of your home? You know, are, are you, your kids, anybody walking through that front door of that home, bringing negativity into that space? Your work environment. Do you allow people to walk in there and spew negativity? Because a literal miracles happen in this man's life in multiple ways. And I'm convinced you are the main reason. Well, God's the main reason. You, mom and dad, Georgia, Emily, there end up being come these people that change your life and, and, and how hard he worked. Talk about like when you were training, brother. You would literally—he'd tell you do ten. You'd do eleven, wouldn't you? Like you, whatever the standard was, you would do more in your rehab, and, you, and that really helped.
1: Absolutely, I kept pushing it. Like I just knew, like every day and like every little thing. If I could do just one more, just a little bit more than what's expected of me, like that's when I knew you could make the biggest difference. And so that first couple of weeks, now I could only my body could only tolerate one hour therapy a day but then eventually I got to three hours a day but I quickly realized three hours is not enough so I asked the hospital for a fourth hour and they say no and I asked why not they said well we've only allowed three hours so eventually I do get that fourth hour though and then again you realize no four hours is not enough I asked for a fifth hour they say no again and this time they meant it. I actually never got that fifth hour. But instead, you know, I had my therapist write up workouts that I can do on my own outside of my scheduled therapy time. So if I wasn't sleeping, you know, I was working. And when you can work just as hard as you possibly can, you know, good things will come. And Something I really come to understand too is like your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. And I just believed in that, and I just kept
0: working. Your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. That's powerful, brother. See, so I'm curious. Just go back because the story is about to get bananas. Okay, just bananas, and you're going to see all the blessings. And but I still want to go back. You're. It's hard for people when they hear a story like this. I try to really put myself in it. So a week before, you're planning on what you're going to do after the football game how much weight you want to put on, what your 40 time is, you know, all these other things. It's a dramatic life event. So even with dad being positive, even with the positive environment, even with Georgia, what did you do in those private moments? Because at some point it became you and you in those moments at night. One, did the negative thoughts creep in very regularly and even for an extended period of time? And is there anything specifically you would do? Would you pray? Would you you know, feed positive thoughts. And what would you do when it really got, did it really get negative? And what did you do?
1: Yeah, it did absolutely get negative And I cried a lot. Like I really had to just let it out okay. and just feel it instead of just bearing it. I think that's also sometimes, push as a man, like, I don't want to cry. Like I want to be tough through this. And it's okay to just feel what you feel like, let it out. So I think that was really helpful for me is just letting it out. And then something that really, I just kept waiting for the sunrise too. Like that was my opportunity. Like I just wanted my chance um, to do something about the situation. And really, I think my mindset really a seed got planted from my dad a long time ago when I was a kid. And I can remember I had this weekend basketball tournament. And I had a, the worst weekend of basketball of my life. And I'm on my way home. I'm like fighting back the tears. And to make matters worse, I'm riding home with my coach, who was my dad, and he's, you know, he's giving me these glares in the rear of your mirror. He knew like, I had so much more in me and potential than I was living up to. And so I get home, I kick my shoes off, I go to the couch. I'm watching TV, like I'm playing video games. I'm trying to distract myself from my frustrations of knowing I could be better. And then eventually my dad comes up to me and he's like, Chris, if you don't like where you're at, then do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but those words just it just clicked. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, like, if you want better results, then you just have to get better. Like, what am I doing sitting on this couch complaining and blaming and having all these excuses when I could be going out there and getting better? Like, I can go shoot more. I can do more ball handling. Like, I can work harder than what I'm doing. And so... Why I feel sorry for myself? Like it just I just felt so stupid in that moment. I was just like, what am I doing? And really, what my dad taught me was to be radically responsible for your life. and that means all outcomes the good and the bad. And the more responsibility you accept, the better you're gonna to respond to adversity. And so when that time came when you know my injury happened, I already had this belief that like, it's on my hands, like my future success, my happiness, like, I have to do something about it. Like, I have to make things happen. And so I just felt this responsibility, but it was empowering. It wasn't like a burden. It was like, empowering of like, there are things that I can do. Like, Mm -hmm. I can do one more rep, I can add more time to my therapy, and and I'm going to do it. And let's see what happens
0: radically responsible for your life brother i knew we would have a good show but come on man this is like this is so awesome so there's blessings that happen in every adversity i'm convinced that's basketball game happened in some small way to prepare you for the uh the injury um but now you're in rehab tell them how so let's just get to the good stuff this is crazy how'd you meet your wife tell them how you met your wife
1: well, we met online and uh did a good swipe, I guess, and, uh, <laughs> just started conversing with her and, you know, Emily, she's not a surface level person at all. Um, she figured out real quick that, oh, my situation, my injury, and she's already asking me within like the second day of like, what was your mind like and your attitude? Like, right when you found out the news and how'd you get through those nights that really the same questions, like you're asking me, but like, Someone I just met who, you know, most people were afraid to ask those questions mm-hmm. early on when they're just getting to know me. And there, a lot of times those are just surface level conversations, but not Emily. And so I was instantly connected to her. I found a you know public spot to meet. And uh, I can remember just being so freaked out about meeting up with her. And I'll never forget uh, her walking across the street and my jaw dropped. I'm like trying to like pick it back up. Like yeah. I could not believe how beautiful she was. And mm-hmm. I'm just like trying to like tell myself, like, Chris, act like you've been here before, like <laughs> keep it together. Like she was way out of my league. And uh, you know, Emily just came up to me and just had a conversation with me. She wanted to get to know me for who I was and not, you know, my disability, my injury. She wasn't consumed by the things that I was unable to do. And yeah. I didn't scare her, and I just knew right there she was a special person, and then um, learning more about her heart for kids in the foster care system and uh, just her love to make a difference, too, And so we just connected right away.
0: It was two extraordinary people meeting and the amount of, um, you know, anytime you accomplish what Chris has accomplished, someone like Emily around you, the amount of care, just caring for somebody during the process of overcoming an injury like this, all the rehab, all the little things that need to be done that this woman um, began to do. And one of the lessons that I learned long ago is the more you care for something, the more you love it. And so ironically the injury and your way of meeting her allowed her to care for you and serve you in ways and vice versa that helped this love grow into such an extraordinary thing. And I don't know that enough people understand that the more you serve something, the more you, you care for it, the more you love it. And this incredible love grew, and then something even better happened, which is now Chris's reason to want to stand and walk has become even more enormous. And I'm a big believer that you can do more and more extraordinary things. The bigger, the reason Um, I think we do everything in life for our dreams and other people and be willing to do something. So it became important to you that on your wedding day that you were able to walk back down the aisle afterwards. When did that start to occur to you and then take everybody through what took place here so they know through all of the adversity, all of the other stuff that took place between graduation and the wedding. I'm sure those days were like projecting forward in your mind over and over and over again as inspiration to keep grinding through therapy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my first big goal was to walk across the stage of my college graduation and a big part of that goal was really focused on myself. Like how can I get my body to a spot where I can walk maybe even independently across the stage and then maybe in in the process, inspire other people to go for their goals and dreams. And so Emily comes alongside me. She really pushes me. She's my, she's my toughest trainer by far. And so we do this four yard walk across the graduation stage and it blows up, like goes by over 300 million people see this video Mm. and we're getting messages from so thousands of people of just how inspired they were by this short little walk. And at this point I began to realize, you know what, again, like, you know, happiness isn't measured by steps. Like I don't need to walk to live a good life. Like Mm -hmm. I can be happy and content right from a wheelchair, but then this kind of gave me that reason you talked about, like Mm -hmm. when your reason's bigger and to serve others, it it drives you more. And so seeing that if I can inspire other people um, through walking um, and through overcoming my challenges like i have to do that like i have to pursue yeah. that with all my heart so that's where the seven yard wedding walk became to be because i didn't want to walk on my wedding day like for myself either did emily like that's a lot of pressure like i've been put you know four to six hours a day training for this walk and so putting that much pressure on, on your wedding day was not something i wanted yeah. to do but you know what there's a bigger reason like i felt called to use my pain for a purpose and to use this visual of my struggles to help somebody who's struggling right now, who needs that hope to just keep going even if they don't know where they're going. And so we kept training to walk the seven yards. And, um, I that's actually what's uh, ironic is the documentary film team approached us, you know, almost a year, more than a year before the wedding. And, uh, I set this goal of seven yards and they named the movie seven yards and I couldn't even walk seven yards. at the Whoa. Test. Whoa. Whoa! I
0: did not know that.
1: Yes. So I couldn't even take a step because here's the thing that was different. Um, Emily was in front of me for the graduation. While. That's how I'm used to walking is leaning on somebody. Yeah. But now with the wedding, we want to do it side by side. Yes. we we'll lose that support. And so when we first tried to practice it, I couldn't even take a step. I was so wow. frustrated and mad. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, oh, gosh. But, you know, I just pulled it together and was like, OK, we'll have to make it work. We have to figure it out.
0: Mm. Bro, I had no idea. So they named the doc seven yards and you couldn't even do it yet. That's bananas. Like you guys, I've had a lot of emotional moments in my life. When Chris stood up and walked at the graduation, I uncontrollably cried. And I think you will as well. I uncontrollably cried because of all the work because of your mom and dad because of the injury and this is what's extraordinary in life we have no idea in it it might be in a coffee shop somewhere where you, your story what you overcome inspires one person but here's this this dude from Iowa playing you know small college football gets this tremendous injury 300 million flipping people get inspired by it and that's before the Netflix documentary it's crazy And who'd have thought, man, when you were laying in that bed, doing one more, feeding those messages, going to rehab, quiet. There's no there's nobody filming everything. man. he's just getting up every day, being a human, trying to grow and get better, that it would lead to this. Now you're on my show. After this show, the whole damn world's going to want you on every podcast. So it's just extraordinary what you've done. And then the wedding one, uh, you know, spoiler alert, it works out. And uh, I I was thinking, it's funny you say that, Chris. I'm thinking, man, it's my wedding day. I'd kind of like to kick back and enjoy this thing a little bit. And the whole dang time, in the back of your mind, you have to be going, all right, in a minute here, I got to pull this seven yard thing off. Was it on your mind through the whole service or could you actually enjoy it?
1: Yeah, actually, and the other thing too, to add the more pressure of People Magazine was like, we're going to be there to cover it. (laughs) And everyone has a story. So I had those two things. But here's the thing, actually. Um, I got to the point where my faith really began to grow and I just had this trust and you're like, you know what? God's got us. I, I put in the work. I've done my part and let's let God's plans really unveil itself because, um, we'll, we'll just see what happens. But, Cause I also knew I'm going to marry the girl. Like I get Emily. So no matter what happens if the, the walk was a complete flop. I would trip and fall like, so be it. Like, I'm with this incredible human being that I get to spend the rest of my life with. Like I already won. like I already did it. Like, you know what I mean? So like, that was already a big deal to me. And uh, of course, you know, it worked out beautifully.
0: I got to and- say to everybody, I wish everyone would share this show and maybe go back and listen to the last little part. He's literally unpacking for you, the mindset of success of gratitude of, you know, faith, it's uh, remarkable, brother. Let's talk a little bit more about your faith. I just want to ask you about that because I was a centerpiece while you are in the hospital, centerpiece throughout your life, centerpiece now, centerpiece for Emily. Um, was your faith this strong prior to the injury? Were you already a pretty strong guy of faith? And if you were, has it increased tremendously since the injury?
1: I was not a strong person of faith. Well, you know, I'm thankful that my parents, they dragged me to church on Sundays. I didn't want to go. I wanted to sleep in. Um, but they taught me about God. Um, I did the Sunday school. I I did FCA, the fellowship of Christian athletes at my school. And while I, I did those things, it wasn't like something I was living out. Um, I only prayed when I really needed something like, like I felt like I couldn't do it on my own. And that's kind of my mentality. My first 18 years of life was like, I can figure it out. Like I can do it on my own, you know, Radical responsibility, right? And yeah. but then I got in a situation where the uncertainty was overwhelming and everything looked so bleak and like not good. Um, people were already writing me off that I'm gonna be like this the rest of my life with no movement below my neck. And so thankfully I I reverted to God and remembered the the verses and The readings and the the sermons of um, about who God and how he can take these broken pieces and, and turn it into something good and use this pain for a purpose and the mess for a message and I just believed in that and so my faith just grew exponentially from that injury because I felt like it was the only thing I could really almost rely on and hold me up and gave me that light at the end of the tunnel so that's why You know, my faith became became so important uh, in that time.
0: Fine. When you talk, brother, I have to lean back in my chair because I'm leaning in so darn much to like catch your words. Uh, I'm thinking of unpacking lots of things here, but just like to to make the comeback, to be happy. I'm thinking of all the stuff we've already covered. We've talked about the grind of the training. We've talked about the no negativity zone. We've talked about having the angels come in. We've talked about having the big reasons. We've talked about faith. There's just this combination of things that make life extraordinary. But when you hear this feel good story, because when I you're about to hear my favorite part of the story in a minute, which is what Chris and Emily have done with their lives. But before we get there, I want just, I want reality. So he has this incident. He overcomes it. He's grinding. He's got this amazing angel. But in you chasing your dream, everybody, it doesn't end up and he walked down the aisle and uh, he walked to graduation and 300 million people. In between there, there are devastating days in chasing a dream in life. And I think sometimes you think, oh, devastating means it's not my calling. It's not my purpose. I'm not supposed to be there. Actually, devastating days probably means you're pursuing something extraordinary. And that's the adversary trying to get after you. And I don't mean to be super negative about this one particular doctor, but I feel like he was almost the adversary showing up in your life in human form. And so when you take him through that day where you're like, hey, I think my leg's moving, or I feel something in my leg. You had a day where Mm -hmm. you and the family got all excited. And by the way, this hater, this dream stealer, this doctor comes from an authority position too. So oftentimes we have a hater or someone stealing our dream. If it's some yahoo, you're like, ah, whatever. But when it's someone you admire, or look up to, or as an authority figure, that can be devastating. And you had one of those incidences where I, when you tell this story, man, I want to go grab this doctor and just shake him, right? Because this was borderline tragic. So take them through what happened and then what your response was for real.
1: Yeah. So it was at this point in my recovery is five weeks. I'm still in the hospital. Now at this point, I can move my arms just a little bit. I have a little bit of sensation throughout my body, but no movement in my legs. And you know how important that was to me to move something in my legs to walk again. Well, I wake up to this new sensation in my left big toe. So it felt like my body was wrapped in this like invisible cast. And now all of a sudden I can feel the air stronger on my left big toe. Like the blanket slipped off the end of the blank um, When you're sleeping, you can feel like that cold air in your toes. Um, I can feel it on my left big toe, something special's happening. Like it feels like progress and something's happening. And so my dad, we're excited about it. Uh, the neurologist my, comes in, the doctor, and I'm explaining this to him. And I can just tell right away, just from his body language, he could care less. And then I ask him, will he take my shoe sock off and just examine this left big toe? And He refuses. Mm. He says, you know, Chris, you're experiencing a phantom feeling where you want to believe that you can feel something differently in this left big toe so badly wow. you tricked yourself into thinking it's real and that, you know, these phantom feelings can happen to a lot of people uh, with spinal cord injuries. And, you know, I knew it wasn't this phantom feeling. Something special was happening. And then the last thing he says... Chris, you'll never move anything in your legs ever again. And just turns and walks out like oh. it's no big deal. Hmm. And I was devastated. Like I was so crushed. And you know, my dad, you know, he's my rock. Like yeah. he's like the strongest dude I know. Your dad, I've dude. never seen him cry hmm. in my life. And I see him cry for the first time. Wow. And he tells me, Chris, you can't let anyone tell you what you can or can't do. Mm. And I just knew it was right. And so, and I also hear George's words too, like you will beat this. And so I'm listening to those voices and this wave of motivation, just like sweeps over me. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to prove this doctor wrong. And so I just get to work and I use it for feel to that fire and then not even a week later, on Thanksgiving morning, of all morning, with my family, I wiggled that exact left big yeah. toe, that doctor's never yeah. move again. Yeah, I was pumped. I was yeah. fired up. I tell all the nurses and therapists, you know, you go find that doctor, who I like to refer to as Dr. Phantom, and you bring him in here and you tell him the Phantom this. I wiggle <laughs> my toe in his face. Right? <laughs> I had a lot of things I wanted to say, but um, <laughs> probably the he was gone that day. Cause I was definitely too fired up, oh. but it was such a special moment for me and my family.
0: What you did spoke so much louder than anything you would have said, but guys, when you're chasing your dream, someone's going to come along and go, you're feeling phantom excitement. You're not making progress. You're never going to make progress. You should just get real. I mean, brother, your whole story is a damn blueprint of how to overcome something and win and every element of it, not to the same extent, those either trying to build a business or get in shape. It's not the same as trying to wiggle a toe, right? But it's the same principle. These dream stealers are going to come along and some of them come from really credible positions and it can be devastating. And I wanted that to be towards this part of the story after you already knew he didn't just wiggle the toe. This guy did walk at graduation. He did walk the seven yards. He did marry his dream girl. And then the great stuff. They're an amazing family. So I'm convinced if you don't have this injury, I don't think you marry Emily. I don't think the love grows that way. You agree with that, by the way? 100%. I would not have met Emily. So Um, no, Emily, the faith wouldn't have been the same. The relationship with mom and dad would have been the same. The self-esteem would have been the same. And I guarantee you, you wouldn't be the kind of father that you are. So, I want you to tell them, but describe the family you and Emily have built together. Cause I think people are about to just cry their eyeballs out at what you and Emily do as a couple in the lives of children is maze balls. So let's share with them.
1: <laughs> well, um, at this point we have seven children, uh, five adopted girls, and we also are co-parenting a seven-year-old and then fostering a two-year-old. And we have fostered a total of 18 children in all. And our age spreads. Our oldest girl that we adopted, Whitley, she's 22 years old. So she's only six and seven years younger than Emily and I. And then we adopted a sibling group of four girls who are now 11, 10, 7, 5.
0: Amazing family. You guys, you understand the difference that these two extraordinary souls have made in people's lives. I just... I I think you're two of the most remarkable people I've I've ever heard about, bro. And ironically, everybody, you know, Chris was introduced to me, I don't know, a few years ago, we've been talking off and on. And I, we're trying to find the time to do this. I'm so grateful we did it now that all this has been documented so that people can see it. But they're an amazing family. I, I would challenge you all to follow their journey. This Emily, his wife is an extraordinary woman. And I believe that God sent you this extraordinary woman because you developed into such an extraordinary man. And I don't think you would have had the gift or the opportunity to develop these amazing parts of you had you not had this incident take place. So I'm curious, here's an interesting question. Would you change things now? I wouldn't, I I seriously would not go back
1: and change that play. I just, wow. Open the doors to, Um, blessings that would have never happened if it weren't for the injury Um, like meeting Emily I I also started the Chris Norton Foundation we Mm -hmm. have a wheelchair camp for kids and families that's completely free Um, we have you know we donate equipment for people and their recovery goals and then you know the motivational speaking yeah the books the documentary just the opportunities to inspire people my my family like just none of it would have happened if it weren't for the injury so how could I ever go back and try to change that play. It's just, it's impossible.
0: Is there something else, Chris, that we haven't covered that you would want to impart on to somebody who's listening going, you know, I don't, I haven't had the extent of the setback that you had originally, but I'm really not where I want to be metaphorically. I'm kind of laying on the field of life right now, not moving a lot, you know, or I'm don't feel like I'm making progress anyway. What would you share with them that we haven't covered that? I mean, I've got this amazing human on my show. I want to make sure I've given you a chance to share, express and share any other thought you might have that could change their life or give them something to think about. What else would you add?
1: You know, I think um, a big part of just my daily ritual and my, my wellness that I, I have to do all the time is I have to really focus on my abilities and not my disabilities. And you know what I can do, not what I can you know, as you can imagine, as a quadriplegic, you know, I have a laundry list of things I can't do, and you know every single day I'm, I'm reminded of that. Like mm-hmm. every single time I wake up, I need somebody to get me out of bed, to um, help me with my clothes, and go to the bathroom. Like there's a lot of things mm-hmm. you know, I can't do, but despite all that, like there are things that I can do, and that's where you know my power, your power, everyone's power is. On those abilities and those possibilities and so i really try to feed my my mind my soul with all the things that i'm able to do and i try to cut out blaming and complaining um, because you know one of the most painful things that i have to deal with is just as a dad so my dad he was a very playful active father i'm really thankful to have someone like him and i've always wanted to be like him like teaching my kids how to throw a baseball and throw them around the pool and, um, teach them, you know, throw the football and basketball, you know, the list goes on and on, but those are things I can't do. And those are times where it, it, I, just, I struggle with that, but I pull myself out of that by reminding myself of the things that I can be, you know, what's more important is being a dad that's present, that's loving and encouraging, making them feel special Like those are things that I can do. And so I'm not going to allow the things that I can't do to paralyze me from the things that I can do.
0: Interesting. You use the word paralyze you from the things you can't do. It's an interesting, interesting word choice there, brother. Curious. uh, hmm. I think you're extraordinary, man. You know, there are shows that I do that I'm very enthralled with. And then there are ones where I almost get lost in processing what you say. And uh, you have that ability. You know, I really process the things that you say. I just want everyone to have the real here too. Um, You have bad days still, like really bad days? Or or, is this something like you just turned a page in life and you don't have them anymore because you're Mr. Grateful and you focus on the things you're good at and not the things you're not good at? Or do you have days that are just like, Hey man, it's a bad one. It's a dark day for me. Do you still have those?
1: I wouldn't say days. I would say moments. Um, that's what I try to keep them uh, as short lived as possible and do the things I know that are important to me and my, my mindset. Um, so again, it's, it goes back to, um, pointing out the things that I am getting that I do have, um, the progress that I've been making, I'm just always trying to like fill myself up with those things to try to turn that corner uh, Mm and to kind of stop that stinking thinking um, because it happens. I mean, we're all human and you just kind of make those those tough choices of, um, you know, filling yourself up with that perspective of of gratitude and what you do have. And and that's what I really try to do every single day.
0: Mm -hmm. I appreciate your honesty, bro. And I have such admiration for you as a man for the work you put in to get where you are in your life and um, for the message you share. There's an honesty about the way you share things that makes such an impact. And I think another lesson from Chris, everybody is he's himself. Chris isn't trying to be anybody else in the world. It's funny. It's interesting to me that I sense, Chris, you're very comfortable with who you are. And I think that's one of the other gifts of gratitude. It's one of the other gifts of getting so much time to work on yourself. Is that a fair read? Like, I think you're kind of comfortable with you.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a big thing for anybody. It's just to be able to you know, love yourself before you can really love somebody else too. like to properly love them. Like it's going to be really hard to cherish a relationship when you don't even cherish yourself. And so mm-hmm. um, I know that, I'm children of God and uh, he loves me. And I'm, I'm called to do something. And and so I just try to have that self-confidence about myself, but um, also humility. Um, but yeah, I think it, it does come from a place of just accepting where I'm at. And that was a process too, though. Like I can remember when I had my parents made me get an accessible vehicle. I didn't want an accessible vehicle. Like I felt uh, it was just, I was so insecure with who I am. And I can remember they were going to drop me off at a, at a friend's and um, at a graduation party. I told them to park in the back mm-hmm. because I didn't want anybody to see a mm-hmm. successful vehicle. Like I just felt so I, I stuck out. Like I, I still stick out. Like um, people just automatically now assume that I, I'm miserable because I'm in a wheelchair. And it's not the case, but like we just stand out more. And I, at first I, I hated that. And mm-hmm. then I just kind of turned a corner where I just, you know, accepted you know, myself for who I was. And uh, I realized that the most valuable thing about a person is just how they serve and love others. And that's, and that's why other people really care about anyway. And so I had to figure that out for myself.
0: Oh, I love you. I love you. That's an absolute gem. That that is all people care about. Yeah. You know, I learned that working at my, the McKinley, the group home, everybody just wants to be loved, cared for and believed in. And however you do that, They'll accept you as you are if you give them that gift of who you are. So, brother, I've enjoyed today so much. Now, listen, everybody. Number one, follow Chris on Instagram. You can book him as a speaker. You can go to his website. What's your website, brother? ChrisNorton.org Well, that's going to be really hard to find. ChrisNorton.org. I'm kidding. Go there, engage with him. I, I recommend you follow him on Instagram so you can follow the journey of his amazing family. And what's remarkable about you is Seven Yards is one of the most amazing documentaries you'll ever see. And yet Seven Yards has almost nothing to do with how extraordinary this man is. He's gone much further than those seven yards. And you can go much further than your initial dreams as well. And it's okay that you have this big dream. And it's okay that you got that doctor in your life who you want to prove something wrong for as well. So Chris, thank you so much for being here today, brother. God bless you. And please send my love to Emily and your mom and dad and all the kids as well.
1: Thank you, Ed. God bless. Appreciate you.
0: All right, share this with everyone, guys. Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show.